everybody, my name is Miriam Trujillo and welcome to another episode of the Dural Academy STEM Break. I am here today with a very special guest, Aaron Bursiaga. With over 19 years of experience, we are pleased to have him and discuss a little bit about himself and his career. Miriam, great to be with you. This is a very professional setup, so pleasure to share whatever I can with you and, and your audience. Thank Thanks you for having me. Thank you for being here. So um, let's get started with a little bit about, about you and your educational background, if you would like to share that. Absolutely. So uh, I like probably most of your listeners. Let's try that over again, ready? I, here we go, ready? Absolutely. I like most of your listeners went to public education, to public middle school, high school, and the like, and I graduated. When I graduated, I felt that I really wanted to go to a prestigious university. I guess I ended up doing that, but upon surveying all the options that were out for me, none of them seemed quite right. It was actually the Naval Academy that was introduced to me when I was a junior that really gripped me and excited me. Not for only the fact that it had great academic, but it had physical rigor and other things that stretched me mentally, physically, spiritually, intellectually. So I went to the Naval Academy, graduated, got commissioned in the United States Marine, and it's actually through the Marine Corps that I next got my degree in operations research from the Naval Postgraduate School and landed me back at headquarters Marine Corps Pentagon, where I did mathy stuff for the Marine Corps. That was a great experience, 12 years of really having my weapon be a calculator as a Marine, and then qualified me to really look at what I might be able to do outside of the Department of Defense. And then that's when I made the leap into consulting and the rest is history. So thank you very much for all of that information. So you're talking about how you went to the Marines and your background in logistics and analytics. How did that really aid you in obtaining your responsibilities now at AWS or Amazon Web Services for those that don't know? Miriam, really good question. So I actually chose logistics through the Marine Corps because I liked solving puzzles and being a logistics planner, figuring out how the beans, bullets, and band-aids got to the troops on time was fascinating to me. Uh, I also was wrestling a little bit with being a communications officer, dealing with satellite links and other communication technology. Well, as luck would have it, I became a logistics officer at a communications battalion. And I got to deploy, uh, as we all know, during the Iraq war to Fallujah where I helped set up some of the first communication fields, uh, the telephony throughout Fallujah, Iraq. So it enabled me to really be able to solve puzzles, do things with technology, and then come back uh, equipped and ready to take things to the next plane, which is when I went to the postgraduate school and learned how to not just do things through basic programming, but I like to say I learned Kung Fu as I got into linear, nonlinear optimization, game theory, machine learning, and the like. Thank you very much. So in your current company, how would you hey, consider? Yeah. Real quick, so we can't reference AWS in this. Okay. So, okay. I can present. so like when you go back and you fix that, just kind of like blip over AWS. Um, it's good to say in your current company or, okay. you know, across the Fortune 100 companies you serve. So that's, that's, that's how I don't have to get PR to review what you and I are doing. Perfect. Okay. okay. So... In your current company, how is that different from your previous experiences that you've had in, in different fields of logistics and analytics? You know what? It's not that different. 
or at least I would say the math and the problem solving isn't different. What's different is how I or how my teams have to think about it. Let me share one example with you. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was responsible for what I thought was a terrible assignment, a very difficult assignment of having to go and wrangle troves of data that had never been brought together so that we could forecast or create a forecast for how equipment ranging from rifles to tanks to metal equipment uh, to medical equipment could be used in future complex conflicts. And this went into what we called a war reserve, which would be like a safety stock for the military. It was a long and hard assignment, but the net of it is, is I helped the Marine Corps save $2.3 billion in inventory reduction. Now that was a large amount, but it was a tough project. And I didn't think that was gonna mean the most. Turns out that project is what meant the most to me in my post Marine Corps career, because everybody has an inventory problem. Whether we're talking about the airlines, about consumer packaged goods, about retail, about hospitality, about anything. Everybody has a supply and demand and forecasting that is critical. So I took that very same math that I did for the Marine Corps on tanks, rifles and medical equipment, other things like that, and used it to forecast for a major retailer uh, a major apparels uh, provider and help them basically use that same math. It just thinks of things as ones and zeros and project it on a different kind of business problem. So what I would say is the math didn't change. The analytic techniques didn't change. I changed, or at least the human intuition and understanding of how to project it onto a business problem had to change. So I would tell all of your listeners, whatever experience you are getting, it's likely that it's going to be valuable in another field as long as you can be creative and adaptable enough to make it fit or to make it project onto the different industry or different job you might be selling for. Thank you very much. So now that you have mentioned that, how did you personally get involved in the field of AI and why did it interest you? You know what? I had a friend reach out to me just the other day, someone I haven't spoken to for literally 20 years. And he's been a very successful banker. He was able to take a year off with his family. He's looking kind of for like a second career and he wants to get in the field of AI, like a lot of people do. And he was asking me, you know, should I take this Harvard class online? And I said, yeah, you know what? For some folks, that's interesting. For me, it's not. I said, a better use of your time would be to do these three things. Number one, read a lot of books. And I'd be happy to share with you Aaron Bruciaga's reading list, over 90 books on AI and human factors and thinking big. So read a lot of books because nothing can replace the carnal learning, the page turning that you will have as you step your way through the books of folks more experienced than you. The second thing I told him was to join a professional society. I remember when I joined my first analytics and AI professional society, INFORMS, the Institute for Operations, Research, and Management Sciences, informs.org. I was young, I was brash, and I really didn't know anything. But by striving with that society for well over 12 years now, I have gone from being the mentee to now the mentor, from being the conference attendee to now I'm the conference chair. And you can't do that if you stay on the outside of a professional society or if you live outside a house. The best way to clean the house or be part of the house is to step into it. Same thing goes with a professional society. 
One second. And then the third thing I told my friend was to look for key influencers that they should follow on Twitter. If you wanted to follow me on Twitter, my handle was at AD Bursiaga. And I would say, don't just follow me, but look at who I follow and follow them. And I seek to at least read one article or one post daily and share it with others. And so by consuming daily from other thought leaders and then sharing it with my community, I'm learning and I'm sharing with others who are looking to learn too. So those three things. First, read a lot. Second, dive into professional society. And third, follow and learn from socially imminent and folks with a lot of social capital in the field that you're striving to level up in. Of course. Uh, sorry, right now is the middle school release time. So I see that. Of, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> they're kind of rowdy. Awesome. All right. I'm so proud of you. You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. So you mentioned serving 10 years in the Marine Corps. So how did this experience shape you? Not only professionally, because um, we kind of talked about that, how that has led to you um, dealing with other other companies and how that's led you to your your businesses, your corporation. But how did that help you shape yourself as a person? I'll tell you what, um, I am so grateful for my time in the Marine Corps and my time at the Academy. I don't think everybody has to go to the Marine Corps, go to an Academy to pick up leadership principles and learning to do blue collar work. But there is nothing more blue collar than moving radios and antennas and the logistics for the Marine Corps, stepping through the fields of fire in Fallujah, nothing more blue collar than that. And that's why I believe in so many of the college programs that I'm working with, where we're, we're developing and designing and cultivating a blue collar AI workforce. You can't be an AI or machine learning or a data science professional by merely reading a book and leaping into the field. You actually have to get out there and learn how to run the wires and turn the wrenches and be a part of the grit that makes these things practical and real. And so my 10 years, 12 years of doing that in the Marine Corps led me to have a certain amount of empathy for the doers. It led me to have leadership skills and learn from others as to how to have leadership or to develop relationships. And now that I'm in the back half of my career, I'm able to call upon all those experiences I had to be a better leader, to be a more empathic person, and to come with a cert of understanding for the grit the determination, the resilience that need that's needed to actually get things done. I shared the other day that it's about impact or bust, that great readers read a lot, great innovators innovate a lot, and great doers do a lot. All right, so you mentioned the importance of reading and kind of books that have led you to be where you are. Is there any way that our listeners can find this list or find um, these recommendations that you have for people? I'll tell you what I'll do, Miriam, is uh, I've had this PDF with me for a little while. Uh, I will both post it on my social pages on LinkedIn and Twitter, but I'd like to pass it to you and you can put your podcast banner around it and say brought to you by because it is challenging, it is um, innovative, it is tenacious folks like you that really take the information to the masses and bring a community together. So I'd be happy to share it with you. 
and have you share it with your listeners. Thank you very and much for that. Miriam, I would challenge you that within five years, you should be sharing the kernel for the start to your very own reading list. It's not going to be my job to do this in 10 years. You're the leader and you should be taking over this job in 2032. Thank you very much. Yeah, I definitely will. I, I already have some books that have shaped me uh, right now. So that's, I think that's a wonderful idea. And another- You know what I'm saying, Miriam, is make sure you just don't read about artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, read a lot of books. I like to read Malcolm Gladwell from time to time. Um, I like to read books by Brené Brown, uh, which are a lot on empathy and leadership. Uh, right now, I'm reading something called Bowling Alone, which is which is a book focusing a lot on on uh, on how the decline of um, or where there was a collapse of American community and social netting that led to our success uh, in in previous decades, and how that needs to come back to ensure we have a, a sort of economy and culture that we'll be proud of. So you'll say, you know, Aaron, why are you reading a book called Bowling Alone? When, when you're an artificial intelligence leader. It's actually in books like Bowling Alone that I get some of my most innovative and creative and original thoughts, and I bring them over because it's another discipline, and then I say it differently, and it becomes mine. Right, yeah, that's, that's an incredible concept to think of. Just because you're, for example, concentrated in fields of STEM or physics, it's still important to read about the other kinds of raw aspects of human nature and why that is important and how that shapes us to be better leaders. Like for example, I have a teacher, a physics teacher who always talks to us about the importance of books and reading philosophy and learning all of these things because it helps you personally and it helps you build arguments, it helps you with logic and just connecting with people. So I, I definitely agree in that point. And I think that it's, it's a wonderful thing that you're sharing this with our, our listeners. Like I said, great readers read a lot. Right. So going back more towards the AI fields, what are your thoughts on the current implications of AI and the recent uses of AI? Um, what do you consider to be future paths as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I'll break it down to three things I'll stress for your audience. I'll give the bumper stickers and leave it to them to find out more. The first thing I would say is, uh, responsible AI is gonna be critical and it's gonna be maybe a field or a profession unto itself. The need for uh, legal folks who will be able to understand and provide the sort of jurisprudence that's gonna be needed around algorithmic, call it regulation, is gonna be upon us, especially as self-driving cars, drones, and so many more things are automated for us. So responsible AI. The second thing I will say is uh, in the field of, of artificial intelligence, it's going to become increasingly important and critical to understand edge computing, where things don't always have to be transmitted back to the cloud for processing, but can be done on device on edge. And so understanding and true integration of IoT with edge computing and what that means in terms of uh, chip and network design is going to be critical. And then I would say the third thing I would say around artificial intelligence, I would say it's just about AI literacy. It's about helping everyone, whether it be the high school teacher or the fast food chef 
everybody understanding how artificial intelligence impacts their lives, what the risks and opportunities are around the data they share or the decisions that they make with the use of an application in their hand. And so you and I would be probably gravely mistaken if we did anything without truly being literate, right? Because we wouldn't understand the words on the paper. Likewise, we would be gravely mistaken if we didn't understand literally the words that AI was giving us. We need to be AI literate to understand the opportunities to assess the risks and then move out with the sort of decisions that we will be proud of as individuals and societies. That's, that's really incredible. And much like anything like financial literacy, it's important for people to be aware of their surroundings and to be aware of the communities around them. And now that AI is this new thing that's coming into practically everything and into our, our, our real world and our real lives, it's important to stay informed and to stay literate about certain aspects like this. So that's truly a great choice of words uh, for our listeners. And I have a final question before we conclude our interview. If a student wishes to follow your path in this field, how would you recommend them getting started or getting involved? The first thing I would recommend is to read a lot. The second thing I would recommend is to join a professional society or a local college where they can network well. The third thing I would recommend is to follow key influencers. You might have heard me say that earlier on, but I sincerely mean that. When I grew up and I wanted to be a soccer player, I wasn't going to get anywhere fast if I didn't have folks that I idolized and modeled myself after. It's like that. You need to study Tom Brady if you want to be a quarterback. You need to study Malcolm Gladwell if you wish to be an author. Study them, follow them, read a lot, and educate yourself. It's not going to happen to you. And so I'm very excited for everybody your age and younger. Man, this field is going to be so exciting. I'm not going to even recognize it in 20 years. And it's going to be the excited folks like you that jump in and mold this and take the baton from me to really make this what it needs to be to preserve all the security and to enforce the sort of prosperity we want to see locally and globally. Well, thank you very much for all of your advice and all of your words for our listeners. And I would like to thank you for being here and taking the time out of your very busy schedule to kind of give us another perspective and the kind of security that we as students need to know that it is possible and we can go and we can get places and just truly achieve our dreams. So. Um, as a community of listeners and young learners, we would like to thank you so much for being here. Well, Miriam, thank you. And, and I hardly have to tell you because you are doing the following, but I like to always end with the following words. Be the change and lead the change. You're doing that. Well done. Thank you very much. All right, guys, thank you for being with us. And I hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Bye.